This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today on the show, I'm talking to Emily Pepito about the principle of balance. Thanks for joining me today, Emily. Thanks for having me on. Always love being here. I'm excited about this. This is going to be the final chapter in my book by the same name, Restoration Home. And this is also about like kind of wraps up all we've been talking about because throughout this whole few months that we've been podcasting, we've been talking about the different Benedictine rules. So the rule of order and the rule of stability and the rule of community and the rule of work and order. So many amazing rules that can help us as a family to shape our own values. And so this last rule that we're talking about is the rule of balance because, and and we've, you know, we've touched on this in the past because we've touched on how we were a very, you know, kind of religious homeschool family. We listened to a lot of, you know, religious kind of teachers and I'm not putting down religion. I'm just saying they taught things as if there was one right way to do things, you know, growing kids God's way, that kind of thing, Bill Gothard even. So they taught things as if there was one right way to do things. And we, we were young, not you, your dad and I, we were young and we wanted certainty. And so we were like, okay, if you, If you drink alcohol, you're not a Christian. If you don't homeschool your kids, you're not a Christian. Like we actually said some of these things. I'm embarrassed now to say that out loud. Although, I mean, homeschooling, I don't know. Uh, Anyhow, it was, you know, we were very, very rigid in a lot of our ideas in some ways. And then hopefully you grow. What we don't want to do, though, is outgrow righteousness. Because I think there's been this pendulum swing in all of culture where, you know, maybe the 80s was kind of characterized by almost this little bit of a reformation, like people wanting to give their children a Christian education, or people wanting to be more involved in their church, or people wanting to, you know, disciple their kids in a new way. And so there was maybe this time where People were focused on that, the 80s and 90s. And then you get the 2000s where you have all these homeschool kids who were somewhat damaged by their parents, uh, you know, lack of maybe humility or maybe too much kind of ideology or rigidity without any story or mercy behind it. I don't know what all was behind it because I think for every family, it's a little bit different. And I think every kid, honestly, is going to go through their own pushback. But what we want to encourage as we're trying to encourage people developing a family culture and developing values and caring about righteousness, because our culture is going to fall, it might fall anyhow, because we don't have a shared value system. No longer does America sort of adhere to even the Ten Commandments, you know, so we don't necessarily have a basic code of ethics in America. I don't know that we have one in the world. Maybe some countries are better in that way, but we don't necessarily have a basic code of ethics. And some of this has been really good because we 
we understand that some of the bad things people do are related to childhood trauma. It's not all just sin. It's not all just people being bad or good. Like I loved the movie Fred Claus because it talked about how there are no bad children. There's just, I can't remember the, how they, they said it, but you know, there's our, our environment does shape us. I mean, we know things now we know that shame is very toxic, that it's a good thing to recognize you've done something wrong and say, you're sorry, but it's not good to live thinking that you're broken and you can't be fixed. So there's all these wonderful things that we've learned as almost a pushback on that really rigid sort of holiness culture. But I think what we don't want is to throw the bay with the bathwater and just have like anything goes and really go on a slippery slope of immorality. Yes, for sure. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about growing in Christ is that if we really are following him, I think that our obedience and following his footsteps will naturally look like balance. Yeah. You know, one of the things that my husband talks about is how in our in our theology, when Jesus died on the cross, he restored us to the Garden of Eden, essentially. You know, in the Garden of Eden, they didn't yet have a knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They hadn't sinned yet. And then Adam sinned and sin entered the world and it messed everything up. But Jesus' death on the cross restores us to pre the law, you know, because there are there's kind of a debate among Christians, like, do we obey the Old Testament law? Do we obey the New Testament law? Do we obey the, you know, the whole Hebraic or Judaic law? Like, what do what is right? Do we is it okay to drink alcohol? Is it not okay to drink alcohol? Is it okay to uh, listen to secular music? Is it not okay? You know, there's all these questions of morality that as families, we are wrestling with. And, you know, I think the temptation can be to just sort of adapt your morality, even adapt your theology to your children's sin, because it's too painful to reject your children's ideas or reject maybe some of their behaviors. And so we have, I feel, Christianity adapting itself to the sins of the children. But we we don't have to do that. Like we don't have to make up a whole new theology about sin because if we were really in the garden, the veil is torn. We are restored to that intimate friendship, that intimate father son relationship with God. Then, you know, just like the Bible says, I'll write my laws on their hearts. Like we're not going to have to be worried about missing it because our, our desires will be for God. Our desires will be, for what is right, like getting drunk will be repellent to me. Having a glass of wine with friends, great. But for me, it doesn't sound right for me. And so, and, and I think there's a there's space for growth too. There's space for us to maybe make a mistake, feel convicted about it, try again, you know, in things like language or books. You know, at one time I might have read steamy romance novels and now I no longer do that because it doesn't doesn't feed my soul it's out of interest to me no judgment on people who are still reading them but I think that you know as we grow in our intimate relationship with God he writes his law on our hearts that is definitely true I think the one thing that we have to be aware of is that that 
intimacy comes through sacrificing what we want to do for actually pursuing intimacy with him. And I think the, it's, it's just, it's about, it is again, it kind of boils down to that thing of you are what you are focusing on. You are the sum total of the people around you are all those sort of things. And so the, the stepping away, I guess, from the concept of balance, just the concept of, of righteousness and relationship with God. It is the process of restoration and the process of like, and I, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about too are like principles for sanctification. And so there's this, this sort of one track mind that we have to have that says, I have been purchased at a price. My life is no longer my own. I am Christ. And what does that look like? And how this sort of reckless abandonment in pursuit of righteousness, in pursuit of holiness. But then where the balance comes in is that we can't make that righteousness adhere to a set of man-made derivatives, basically, of the Bible. And so a lot of these religious teachers, they come out and they're like, okay, here's the Bible and here's our here's our 10 commandments. We've read the whole Bible for you and we've got the 10 commandments of a, you know, whatever sect of Christianity it is, or we've got the 10 commandments for homeschool families. We've got the 10 commandments for, you know, um, Methodists. We've got the 10 commandments for Baptists. We've got the 10 commandments. And then all these groups follow, and this is more on a religious conversation, but they then sort of followed these, these, um, these sets of rules and they lose relationship. And I think in losing relationship with God, we are automatically going to become unbalanced. So on the one side, we have to have this slightly unbalanced dedication to righteousness and dedication to God. But I think that if that is what we have, then again, we are naturally in that pursuit of him going to balance. And so like I have some friends and I, and they're really, they're still in that place of like, and no alcohol is okay because alcohol is so addictive that one glass of wine and you are in sin. And I'm like, well, balance, balance for you is probably some areas in your life where not that you have to drink wine, but where you are still adhering to a religious structure or belief system that puts your actions over God. And so balance is going to be breaking the back of that lie. And, and balance is going to be you know, maybe you, maybe you don't ever drink, but balance is going to look like you having to realize that, 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 that viewpoint is not gospel. And maybe, maybe it's not wrong for you to have that viewpoint. Maybe it's not wrong for you to want to adhere to that value in your home, but it's not gospel. And, and balance for another person is in their relentless pursuit of Christ is going to be like, oh, wow, I actually rely on alcohol in a way that is saying that I'm getting, that I can't get my comfort or my needs met without this glass of wine. And so balance for you is going to be, um, not you, mom, because you're very moderate with your wine, but it's a general use out there. Balance for you is going to be um, learning to fast, learning, learning to abstain, which is fasting, from the wine that had become habitual. And I think that the to the other thing that you said about um, the formation of a religious concept or, or view or worldview around our mistakes 
and our children's mistakes. And whether that's like your past mistakes, you're like, I only drank alcohol as a kid when I was like getting so drunk. Therefore, alcohol is evil. I was like, well, actually, just because you were numbing and traumatized and, and using alcohol in that way doesn't make it bad. Or, oh, all my kids, like I raised them to be so godly and now they're all doing, you know, they're, some of them are doing this, some of them are doing that. Therefore, those things must not be that bad. Or I'm going to, I'm going to just sort of numb it out and be like, oh, well, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Like God's grace is big enough. It doesn't really matter. And I think I totally agree that we cannot let our past or our present or the choices of the people we are intimate with. So spouses, children, friends dictate what is righteousness. Because if we are wholeheartedly again in that place of like, you are my God. Like when Ruth and Naomi were having the conversation in Ruth, she says, where you go, go, your people be my people. Your God will be my God. And when we're in that place that Ruth was with Naomi, we're saying, God, like you are our, you are my God and I will follow you all the days of my life. Then our pursuit of righteousness and our acknowledgement of what are, what is good or what is bad is going to have the same quality of mercy that Christ has towards us. And so we don't have to sacrifice righteousness to sustain mercy for the people who aren't walking at that level with us. I love that you brought up mercy because I think that is sometimes what is lacking in a culture that is created around rules, you know, because they're, there are lots of ways that people are trying to get closer to God. You know, some people feel closer to God by wearing dresses and head coverings. Some people feel like obedience to God means not celebrating Christmas. Some people feel like being close to God means putting their children in public school. Like we're all on a journey. And so I might have ideas about what I think is the godlier path. But I think that there's a certain amount of mercy, an attitude of mercy that we have to take that, you know, we continue to do what we believe God has laid on our heart, what we, what we, uh, what we interpret as scriptural truth without condemning other people who maybe aren't on the same path, you know, and I remember, I mean, honestly, there was a time where we, in our church culture we were in, would have doubted the salvation of Catholics. And I feel really sad about that today because I know there are lots of godly, um, sanctified Catholics, Catholics who love Jesus and who believe in the salvation by Jesus. And so how sad to take this view that excludes a part of the body of Christ based on you know, some kind of unmerciful understanding, you know, and I, I think it is really important that we, that we love what is good and hate what is evil, for sure, pursue righteousness. But I think that it's important to have an attitude of mercy, an attitude, and, and that's where it comes back to balance. You know, it was interesting in the Benedictine rule, he says, don't, I desire not to put any rule that is harsh or burdensome. And I think we have to think about that too in our parenting, because sometimes we can be so rigid and that can cause rebellion in our children. Really, it's, it says, you know, don't tempt your children, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, sometimes our expectations of our children can be unreasonable. But then there's also that 
opposite extreme where we just say, whatever, do whatever. I, I have no say in your life. I don't care. Or I don't know. So whatever you do is fine. So I, I think there is this real fine line of caring about righteousness, pursuing holiness without condemning people who maybe aren't in the same place as you. And this is where we have to have the Holy Spirit. And that comes through listening to God and it comes through studying his word. Like if we don't have both that studying relationship where we know what his voice sounds like, but also that listening relationship where in matters of culture that aren't laid out in scripture, like it doesn't say in scripture, if you should or should not have social media or you should or should not watch movies or you should or should not have a glass of wine. Like some of these things are really not spelled out in scripture, whether you should wear dresses all the time. Some of these things, we're just trying to figure it out. And so having an attitude of mercy towards people who are figuring it out differently, while still don't be threatened by it. That's why as families, we have to know what our own family vision is. And in the Peaceful Press, we have a great family vision guide. We also have the Peaceful Life Planner. Both of those are fantastic resources for kind of understanding what your values are, because you don't have to have the exact same values as your best friend your sister, the people in your church, like it's okay to develop a family culture that's a little bit different. We all have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I love how you put that. And I really appreciate that you bring up the being content with your own family values. Cause I think that's where a lot of imbalance can come from too, when we are looking at what other people are doing. And so we're out of balance with who God created us to be. And so we're like, Oh, you know, this family's doing that. And this mom's doing that. And this wife is doing that. And, and, and we start putting pressure on ourselves that God's not putting on us and that maybe he never even intended for you. Like I remember, like, (laughs) I remember for most of my life, the Pepito family band was always this like dream. (laughs) And, And it, we all play music and I love music, but it's also one of those things where it's like, sometimes even our best dreams maybe aren't the dreams that God has for us. And maybe a Pepito family philosophers club would have been a little bit more in line with how we all think and kind of how we gravitate towards our free time, what we do, you know? And, and so just this, like you, like just this rejoicing And I think part of this comes through, we've talked a lot about healing past trauma. And I know even for me, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I I don't feel good enough or like I am enough because I see friends who are doing things that I feel like I ought to be better at or I ought to be doing or, or I'm like, I'm not where I would like to be and therefore I'm not anything at all. And just this very sort of all or nothing mindset. And, um, and this thing of like, no, again, to the mercy where I'm like, no, I'm, I am in the process of becoming one with Christ. And it's a process that he has all the grace from the world. So why shouldn't I? And in that process, being willing to be uncomfortable and adhering to our own values as family and as individuals and, and being like, no, like our family value is actually wearing skirts. Like this is this is the thing that we want to do is, is dress in this way that takes our minds off of our physical adornment. And, and that's great, but that doesn't make you 
more or less righteous. That just means that you're being faithful to what you feel like God is calling you to be. And it takes a lot of maturity and a maturity that I think we all should want to be like, this is, this is the family value that we're working out and nobody else has to join us for us to be right. And everybody not joining us doesn't have to threaten us with feeling wrong. That's really good. You know, I think Sally Clarkson says this, and and I read this somewhere else also, you know, if, if nobody is doing what is right, we still keep doing it. And if everybody's doing what's wrong, we still keep doing what's right. And, you know, I think that the biggest message I would want to say in terms of balance is just stay in your lane. Like, you know, nothing bothers me more than people who go around tearing down what other people are doing. Stay in your lane. Like if God has convicted you in some area, go for it, do it, change the world, share your message. But if sharing your message means tearing down some other message, you know, criticizing people who have a different worldview, a different um, theological view, if, if, if sharing your message has to mean mocking and ridiculing the working out of faith for another group, I I just don't see that as the heart of God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I'll repay. It says, as you judge, so shall you be judged. With the same measure you judge, you'll be judged. And so, you know, I feel so sad about the judgments that I made earlier on as a mother and a Christian. I mean, nothing bites you as bad as judging other people there. I just read a quote by Louis Zamperini today. It said, hatred is like a boomerang. It turns around and hits you in the head. And so, you know, criticizing other people for where they're out on the journey. If you see your brother and sin, go to them, but that's not on social media. That's not a, you know, a blast on a blog that is going to a brother with love which is definitely not the same as tearing down a whole group for their own expression of faith or their own working out of their salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. And I, on that note, I think social media has given us this idea. Like you take the concept of, of my brother's keeper and going to your brother and, and the idea, and and it's in the Bible that we are, we are called to call out fellow Christians But when Paul wrote that, he was writing to people who were living in community together. And so now we have social media, we have all these things, and suddenly we feel like we have the right to judge people we have never met, who we have no relationship with, and who we actually have no authority to speak into their lives. And and I think that it's a really... It is really, it's a really terrible place to be, like sitting in judgment over people who you don't know. Like when Paul wrote that, he was speaking about about judging. And, and I think that John, there's a few other of the New Testament books that talk about it. He's talking about within a tight-knit church community. So people who are doing life together day in and day out, who are making sacrifices for one another, who are getting to know each other in really, truly deeply interpersonal, intimate ways. In those situations, he was saying, if you have the whole story, you have the right to go to somebody and be like, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable as my brother in Christ. He's not saying this other person out on social media who you've never met, you have some sort of duty to go to and correct. And I just think that's one of the most heartbreaking things among the Christian community is just this 
social media war from different like different sects of Protestantism and, and Catholicism. It's just like this is this is not this is not a good look. Right, right. Because we can tell, like, if, if you have a message, share your message. It's amazing. Like, share what is what is on your heart, what you're reading in scripture. Share what God has shown you. But if you have to tear down other people to do it, then I don't know that that's from God. Because, yeah, I mean, there are there are specific ways that we go to a brother that we're offended with or who who has offended us. But that implies there's some brotherhood there. And it's not just airing our grievances. And especially, you know, I, I was thinking about this when I was writing this chapter on balance because I used Madeline LaAngle as an example. And a lot of Christians came down really hard on her because her books were a little bit sci-fi or, you know, some things in them were hard for people to understand. And so people put even some twisted interpretations on some of it. And I, I honestly have not read all of her books, not recently and not well enough to say, oh, yeah, I can see something evil in that, or I can see that that's very godly and pure. I don't really know. But I think that it's just very toxic when Christians are nitpicking people they don't even know and doing it publicly. Like, if you have an issue, go to your brother. But I don't see this in scripture that you are tearing down other Christians. I see that we as believers also build one another. Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth edify one another, speak life. That's the example I see. It is the example. It's the example that, that Christ gave us. And even when his disciples were like, we should go rain down fire on this city for not welcoming you. Um, he didn't, you know, he was gentle with them. And I think a lot of times the judgments that we're passing are, yeah, they're just so far from the heart of God. And I think a lot of times, sadly, they, they betray a real ignorance as to what Christ actually accomplished for us on the cross. Right. And this obviously is not about like, you should teach your children, your belief system. You should share your culture with your kids. You should disciple your own children. 100% disciple your community. But you know, Jesus, the last thing he said on the cross is father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And, and it's also said of him that when he was reviled, he reviled not. And so I just really admire when, you know, when Christian leaders can stay in their lane, share the word of God, but do it without trying to tear down other ministers. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me for this talk on balance, Emily. I'm excited for people to listen and I can't wait to hear their feedback and reviews are so helpful for us. Thank you so much for listening. 